What's going on, everyone? You're tuned into the Founder Hour podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and today's guest on the show is Alberto Perlman. Alberto is the co-founder and CEO of Zumba, an exercise fitness program that was created by Colombian dancer and choreographer Beto Perez, whom he started the business with. After discovering Beto's fitness class in Miami, they got together and created what would become an internationally renowned program with over 100,000 instructors and 14 million students across 185 countries. We spoke to Alberto all about his tough upbringing growing up in Bogota, Colombia, immigrating to America for college, his early career and being unemployed following the dot-com crash, what inspired him to launch Zumba, the early days of the business and how it became such a success, and much, much more. Here we go. I grew up in Bogota, Colombia, and I grew up in Colombia in the 80s, and the 80s was a very weird time for Colombia. It was my reality, right? But I, I didn't know that other kids in other places could go out on the street and play or go to a park, or that was not normal for us. For us, it was normal to be always guarded and only go to places where uh, where it was safe and watching over our shoulder all the time. It was a time that Pablo Escobar ruled the country and he was he was he would bomb buildings whenever he wanted to. We would have bomb drills in school. But to me that was my normal, my reality. But I, I think it created for all of us who grew up during that time a, a little bit of paranoia. And and I'm assuming you just didn't know any different, right? Like it was that was just what life was and you assumed that's how everyone's life was. When you're a kid that when all you know is all you know, right? Yeah. And yeah. was your family in Colombia for generations or how did how did that yeah, how did they my, there? my I'm a Jewish, my my grandparents, my great-grandparents arrived in Colombia between 1910 and 1930. So I'm fourth generation. And uh, my, my great-grandfather came from uh, Israel, what was the land of Israel at that time, in 19, around 1910 or something like that. And he would, he heard that there was opportunities in Colombia and where he was living it was it was very difficult for him so he he was 19 years old and just uh, got on a boat and went to Colombia and he would sell textiles uh, on horse and donkey from town to town and that's how he he was able to to survive and i always hear stories of of like people in the early 1900s and what they went through and it's incredible how easy we have it compared to what yeah. they had to do to survive and uh, but yeah so so i'm fourth generation or third depending on the on the grandparent and and yeah but now we're all we all left now we're all in in the u.s you know, you bring up an interesting topic, uh, which is, you know, the different generations and the struggles that they had to face. Uh, you know, we, we hear it all the time. Both Patrick and I are 
uh, of Armenian descent. So, you know, our great, great grandparents went through the Armenian genocide and, you know, Pat's, you know, family went to Iran. My parents went to Syria or great grandparents went to Syria and Lebanon, right? Everyone kind of just dispersed and created their own diasporas. Um, and obviously living through war and genocide and going to a new country, you know, having financial hardships, societal hardships, cultural hardships. I mean, that's a lot of challenges. And sure, compared to that, we have it, quote unquote, easy. Like you said, I agree with you. How do you think future generations will view our generation? You know, <laughs> will they perhaps you think view was what we're going through as, oh, man, you know, my grandfather, Alberto, he had it tough, man. You know, he grew up in Colombia when, you know, you know, Escobar was bombing things. And look at us now, you know, my TikTok's not working, you know, like, yeah. you know, you know, you know what I mean? So, like, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's probably it probably that's that's a factor of human human progress that it gets easier, but it might get harder. We don't know. We don't know if climate change is going to create a different reality for for our grandkids. It might get harder, uh, but I believe in technology. I believe in in what uh, technology can do to give us better lives. And I think we will work through it, and hopefully our kids will have will have better lives. So you kind of talk about how you weren't really able to like you know go out and play like a normal kid does, and and so I assume like you were probably inside most of the time, um, you know, with your family. Like, what did what did you do as a kid? Like, what did you like spending your time doing? I mean, we could go play, but we just it would control places. You just couldn't play around the neighborhood, typical, but. You would go to places where you could have a soccer field or basketball court, and uh, but uh, I, when I was a kid, I really liked to think about solving problems. I was obsessed with with solving things, and I think that created. It was kind of like my creativity. I wasn't good at drawing, or I wasn't good at anything that is normally like design creative, but I was good at creating solutions and finding ways of doing things and solving people's problems uh, was, was something I was always, always focused on. And I think that created a part of my drive to, to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so in terms of like, your career or something that you would end up doing obviously like, or what your adult life was going to look like. Did you have any idea like at the time when you were a kid of like what you would do or, or how did you sort of start getting exposure into, you know, p potential career paths and, and yeah. something that you could end up doing? So, so there were a couple of things that happened in my life. Uh, first I had a sort of, natural knack uh, for business. Uh, my, my father said that in my head, I found a way when I was four years old to invent the concept of renting. There was this kid who wanted to use my watch for the weekend. And I told him, he, I had a little game on my watch. And, and I told him, well, if, if you give me money, and I didn't know how much money it was, I couldn't even read, but if you give me money, I will give you my watch for the weekend. 
and I was four. Now I, I have a son who's, I have four kids. My youngest is five, and I still can't believe that I actually thought of that when I was four years old. And and so that was part of it. I also, my dad got us an, an Apple IIc, and it was one of the first uh, Apples uh, that, that it was the first computer that I ever saw. And, and I, my, my dad liked technology and I learned how to program basic, like a lot of kids in that time. And, and I really loved the idea of what computers could do. And so I always thought that I was going to do something related to computers and solving problems. I mean, I ended up in the fitness industry, but the, the, technologies that we have built for Zumba and for Zumba instructors uh, are part of that passion. You know, like I, uh, I was always, always really interested in technology. Alberto, when did you finally decide or when did your family decide to come to the United States? So I remember, remember 1989 uh, when a presidential candidate got killed and things got really bad. I was about 13 years old. And, and at that point I, I told my parents, well, I would love to go to school in the U S and my uh, to university. Right. And my parents worked really hard. And I remember and my mom, I started her own business at that time. So she could help my dad and help send us to college here in the U.S. And in 1994, I was able to come to college here in the U.S. My parents stayed for a little bit more, and then they they left in the in the late 90s. And and how did you sort of did you know what to expect from kind of coming to America and and going to college? Like, did you have any insight into like how even? college system here worked and or any of that or, or what was it just kind of kind of this like dream that you had because of what you saw in Colombia that you you know you figured that it doesn't matter what it is it's better than what I what we have here you know yeah I know I had an older brother who was in the U.S. and he was uh, studying he was he was at Georgetown and so I had a little bit of a glimpse of 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 the freedom that this country gives you and and yeah so i know a little bit about it yeah and so i, I think i read that you went to babson college um yeah. how how was that experience for you well it was great because i i love entrepreneurship i love coming up with with ideas and i think that's what babson is is all about it's it's kids who really want to be entrepreneurs and and a lot of the conversations uh, the kids kids are having uh, at Babson, and this was ninety four to ninety eight, so it was like when the internet era was starting out. But we were already all talking about business all the time, and about starting companies, and about solving different problems. So I really like that about Babson. Just the culture is is very entrepreneurial. Did you ever get? you know, to a point that after, you know, you talk about coming up with all these ideas and business ventures, et cetera. And, you know, it's something that I think people now do all the time, 
right? I mean, every day, you know, there's a new idea in somebody's head and they're always talking about it. Did you ever get frustrated at one point and said, God, you know, I have all these ideas. I'm not really pursuing any of them per se. I mean, did that happen to you? And if so, how did you overcome it? Well, I actually pursued all of them, which is funny. Because <laughs> in, in So in 1999, I went to work for a consulting firm. And all I did was talk to everyone about all the ideas I had. And at one point, my, my manager said, listen, you, you should go and start something. And so my first business that I started, real business, I had started businesses in college, but the first real business that I started was a company that did events for internet entrepreneurs uh, in Latin America. Because the company was based in, in Miami, but we, we did events for people to come and present their business plans to venture capitalists here in the U.S. And we had uh, speakers that were... Uh, the, the guy who ran Google, uh, Yahoo Latin America, and uh, the, all the venture capitalists who were inver- investing at that time. It was the first dot-com bubble. And I started that business with nothing. I was up on the phone calling people. I built my own website because I knew how to, how to code. And, and people started registering for the events and attending the events. And that business led to a, an incubator. A, that we called Spider Labs, where we incubated nine different companies. And this was the dot-com bubble. This was 2000, and we were starting all these different companies. And then the dot-com bubble bursted in 2001. And I had all these companies. We had raised uh, money from from different organizations and, and funds. And I was 20... 23 years old and this thing just comes crashing down and we had we had these companies who were just getting off the ground in trouble and we went to our investors and said well we still have half the money you invested do you want it back do you want us to keep investing and they said well we will take it back now because (laughs) we we it's it's a tough time right no this internet thing is not going to work and I was out of a job. I was out of a job at 23, and I felt a completely unemployable because of what I had done. And I was having dinner at my parents' house, and my mom and my cousins and every female in that house who was, who was having dinner with us, like my whole family was there, was talking about a fitness class. And this fitness class was a class taught by a guy named Beto Perez. They were all talking about Beto and his class. It was called Roomba with an R. And, and my mom suddenly turned around and said, why don't you talk to Beto? Like you're looking for something to do. Why don't you talk to him? Maybe you and him can start a gym together. He, he gets a lot of people in his class. There's lines out the door maybe. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if, 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 I know anything about this, but about the fitness industry and about gyms, but I do know a little bit about direct marketing and maybe this could be a great infomercial. And so I got Beto's phone number, called him up and I met him at a Starbucks where all great businesses start. 
and <laughs> welcome Howard Schultz. And uh, we, he told me his, his life story and, and it was incredible. His life story is unbelievable. And you guys should do a whole podcast on his life <laughs> because it's incredible. And Alberto, give us a brief, give us a brief for the listeners that may not know his story, but give us like a quick recap of what Beto's, you know, and even though his name is also Alberto, but we call him Beto yeah. just to not confuse you guys. Yeah. Uh, but what was his story? I mean, give us a little synopsis. Yeah. So his stories grew up very, very poor in Cali, Colombia. Uh, his mom, uh, had all these different jobs to try to raise him, never met his father, just him and his mom and his mom working at restaurants, cleaning people's houses, like just trying to get by. And this kid just had an incredible talent for dancing. And he would dance in the street corners and everywhere he went, he, he would dance. And, and if I thought Bogota was bad, Cali was the worst. Cali and Medellin were like, uh, narcos, you know, I mean, it was crazy. The, the, the drug dealers ran the cities completely. The Cali cartel. The Cali cartel, yeah. And so this kid, when, when he's like 15 years old, uh, everybody wanted to be a drug dealer. And this kid wanted to be a dancer. And, but the drug dealers would hire him at 15 to dance with all the girlfriends and all the wives while they did business. And they were like, okay, just entertain, right? And they, they, because this, he was so talented. And, but he wanted to, to get out because it was a, a horrible environment. And he, he struggled a lot, suffered a lot, went through a lot until he finally made it to, to the US. And, and from what I understand, you and the other Alberto at one point taught him English. Or was he, did yeah. he not speak? So there's a third Alberto, right? There's yeah. a Sorry, third Alberto. And the third Alberto is uh, one of my best friends from childhood who I called him up after that meeting at Starbucks. And I said, hey, have you heard of this guy named Beto? He's like, that guy used to come to my house in Bogota because Beto moved from Cali to Bogota at some point and teach my little sister and her friends how to dance. And he used to be like a dance teacher at my house. And he's, he's incredible. And I said, well, I'm thinking of doing this uh, infomercial where we will sell VHS. It was still VHS. VHS tapes on TV and, and for people to do his class at home. So before I tell you about the story of, of, of how we had to teach him English, I'll tell you that we... We came up with the uh, with the name Zumba, as we tried to trademark the word Roomba, and mm -hmm. we couldn't. And so we sat in a restaurant and just really went through the alphabet, and <laughs> what would rhyme with Roomba? And Woomba sounded like a pregnancy workout, and so we ended up at Zumba with a Z, and it was the <laughs> last letter. And so we came up with the word Zumba. We created this little uh, tape. It was still handy cams. There were no video phones. So we had to rent a videographer with a handy cam to film uh, one of Beto's classes. And we presented it to different investors. And 
uh, we had raised, we had some commitments from previous investors who had invested with us in Spider Labs and in the incubator. And then September 11 happened. And so we were back to square one. It was tough time. We didn't know what, what was going to happen. No one knew. And then around November of 2001, Beto said, well, why don't you meet with my boss at Crunch? She's friends with the owner of Crunch. and Maybe he wants to invest. So I went to meet with her. Her name is Donna Cyrus. I'm still uh, super thankful for all her help. She's been amazing through so many years. She's still in the fitness industry. She still works at Crunch. And Donna introduced me to the founder of Crunch, Doug Levine. And Doug said, well, I can't invest in your company right now, but I know some guys in Ohio who might. And I'm like, Ohio? And he said, yeah, in Ohio, there's a company called Fitness Quest. They do the Total Gym. Remember the Total Gym? And yeah, they do the, the Total Gym and they do all these different workout machines. Maybe they'll be interested in having... Uh, in creating the Zumba infomercial with you. So I flew to Ohio in a, in a room full of total gyms and I'm speaking to someone who worked there and she said, this is, this is, this is pretty cool. We're interested. Let me call our CEO. So she calls the CEO and uh, Bob, Bob Schnabel, the CEO of Fitness Quest at that time, comes down and says, I love this. This is, this is so different. But does does this guy speak English? And I'm like, well, let me give him a call. I've never spoken to him in English. Let me call him. And I'm like, Beto, they're asking if you speak English. And he's like, dígale que sí, dígale que sí, dígale que sí. And so I knew he didn't speak English. And I'm like, yeah, he speaks, you know, but stronger accent than me, but he speaks. And I flew back to Miami. And the guys from Fitness Quest were going to come to see Beto teach in two months. And so Alberto, Alberto Aguillon, the other Alberto and I are trying to teach Beto English for the next 58 days. And I think what makes him an incredible dancer is something in his brain makes him very bad at learning languages. And he just (laughs) couldn't learn anything. And so day 58, he tells me, and he's, he's very street smart, you know, he like, he knows how to, how to understand people very well. And he tells me, just teach me how to say, hey, nice to meet you. Sorry, I need to go. And so <laughs> for two days, we're teaching him that phrase. And we hired live drummers for his class. He taught an incredible, an incredible class. And the thing about Zumba is that when you see the class in person, and you see every single person smiling and rocking in a Zumba class, you know there's something magical about it. And comes down from the stage, the guys from Fitness Quest are in awe, and he says, nice to meet you, sorry, I need to go. Nice to meet you, sorry, (laughs) I need to go. Same phrase for every person he shook hands with, and then he runs. And he's calling me from the parking lot and asking me, hey, did they like it? And I'm like, yeah, they, they, they loved it. And I'm telling them, yeah, no, he's so famous. He's, he's got to go teach the people from Telemundo and Univision, Zumba, you know, like he's, 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 he needs to go, sorry. And they figured out that he didn't speak any English, but they were in such awe of the class. The thing is, I think there's two types of 
entrepreneurial uh, creations. One is when you think about something that's missing. Right? A lot of entrepreneurs have a frustration and they think about something that, that's missing that could be done better and they create a product. And the other is when you stumble upon something that is truly amazing and all you want to do is take it to the world. Right? And that was our story with Zumba. We saw this and we saw everybody having so much fun Everybody smiling and we said, why isn't the whole world exercising like this? Why aren't other, why isn't this the replacement for, for treadmills, right? Like this is so much fun and everybody who does it is always smiling all the time. And we thought that was it. We thought, okay, so this is a fun workout. But then we started hearing all these stories of people who were, taking Zumba classes or who uh, got trained in Zumba. And I'll tell you how we got into the training uh, business uh, in a couple of minutes. But all these people telling us this thing changed my life. I was able to leave an abusive relationship because of Zumba. I was able to become friends with people who I never thought I would become friends with because of Zumba. I was able to become a better person. I was able to survive an illness because of Zumba. And we don't know what it is. We still cannot like pinpoint our finger on why Zumba does that. I think it's partly because it's like forced meditation. And I don't know if you guys have tried to meditate, but meditating is hard, right? You're sitting there and you're trying to get thoughts out of your head and you can't get the thoughts out of your head and then you're like, this is it. I'm meditating, but I can't really get the thoughts out of my head. It happens to everyone who tries to meditate. Try a Zumba class. If you're in a Zumba class, you are forced to follow the steps. The instructor's not even speaking. So you have to watch and you have to look at what the instructor is doing and follow those steps. And that clears all the thoughts from your mind. So we realized there was something truly deeper than just a business, than an infomercial. We thought we were just, okay, we're going to start this infomercial and the other Alberto and I will go on to other products and we're going to make sell knives on TV or, or anti-cellulite creams, I don't know, something else. But then we started getting calls from people who had bought these tapes or DVDs, right? We were, we were, we were migrating to DVDs at that time saying, I want to take a local class. Is there a local class in my area? Or I want to become an instructor. And I become an instructor. And we had only licensed the rights to video to Fitness Quest. That's all they could do, sell home video. We kept the rights to everything else. And we don't know why. We just thought it was logical. Just in case there's anything else, we're just going to license the rights to, to videos. And maybe there's something else. And at Alberto, that point, at that time, at that yeah. time, had you had had you ever taken a class? Had you taken a Zumba class? Yeah, we Beto forced us. So uh, Zumba is <laughs> usually uh, mostly women, and Alberto and I, the other Alberto and I, were known as the worst dancers in high school. We were known for that, and in Colombia, like guys are expected to dance, everybody's expected to dance, and we were known as the worst. And, but Beto <laughs> said, if we're going to do this, you guys have to take a class. 
So we said, okay, we won't take it here in Aventura because we know a lot of the people, Aventura, Florida, which is the city where we live. We know a lot of the people who go to this class. But if you teach a class downtown in Miami, downtown Miami, we'll go take it. So we went to take this class and, and it was amazing. It was incredible. Even, it, even though we were super uncoordinated and we didn't know what we were doing, we had so much fun. We were laughing all the time and we felt it, you know? So, so it's, it's, it's great. So I'm curious, you know, you come across Beto and his class, you know, your, your family kind of talking about doing, you know, taking it and how much they enjoyed it. And you kind of see for yourself what it is. I'm curious though, like what, what kind of, what was it? Obviously he was a great dancer. He was a dancer for his entire life. And, and, but what was it that was so special about it that was so different than what existed at the time? Cause I remember, you know, those days that were like the Tybos and Richard yeah. Simmons and all these different, yeah. like, you know, what was it that you saw? First of all, this is something special. And second of all, this could be a, you know, a viable business. Yeah. So, so the first thing I saw was a reaction, right? The reaction of the people taking the class. The reaction was so powerful, so deep that that we knew we knew there was something there, something unique. We also saw lines out the door. I mean, I had never seen a fitness class that we arrived the first time I saw it after that Starbucks meeting. I arrived to go see the class, and there were lines out the door for forty-five minutes to go into a fitness class. So when you see that, it's like the story of the guy who finds these, these cookies or donuts that people are waiting for in line for an hour and then, and then realizes there's something great there and takes the recipe and scales and creates a business. It was something similar, you know. It was like there was something there in that recipe of how he taught a Zuma class, uh, that, uh, of how he taught fitness that was incredible. The other thing I noticed is he didn't speak in the class. Right? It was all nonverbal cueing. And in a way, the people there really became one with the music. And I don't know if you've heard that Bob Marley quote that says that uh, when the music hits, hits you, all the pain goes away. And yep. music hits in Zumba. There's a moment there, 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the class, right after the warm-up, where the music just hits. And people in that moment lose themselves, you know, and there's, there's a lot of people who have a lot of stress in their lives, especially we have a lot of, of young mothers that go to Zuma class and, and they have a lot of stress in their life. They have to deal with the kids. They have to deal with, with the husband. They have to deal with work. They have to deal with a hundred different things. And when they go to their Zuma class, they experience that liberation. We call it fej, bring electrifying joy. You know how Zumba, eh, yoga has zen? We create our own zen, which we call fej, bring electrifying joy. It's that moment when they get lost in the music. And that is the magic of Zumba, in my opinion. Speaking, speaking of the music, you know, I, I've never personally done a Zumba class, but I see... Uh, the women and the, the, once in a while there's like a man and i always think like that man got dragged on a date or something and uh you know or if he he's very do well, smart that, or yeah or, or that exactly um but the music is always just great and like even when i'm watching them you know 
I start bopping my head, whatever, but yeah. I can't dance. You know, I don't, I, you know, I'm probably up there with, you know, being a horrible dancer too. Um, you know, how did the music selection work or how does it work? You know, and what, what yeah. came with that? I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't know if there was any IP or licensing issues there or whatever the case may be, but how did you guys deal with that? And how did the music come about? Cause it's always great. Yeah. Well, music is, is a very big deal. For us, of course, and we didn't want to use just any music. Now, if you teach any fitness class at any location, the location needs to have a performance license. So that's easy. All locations do it. Gyms have been using music forever. Restaurants use music. Bars and nightclubs use music. So that's the easy part. The hard part was figuring out how to license music so we can send our instructors the choreography and the audio files for the music that we were, we were picking and selecting for them to teach. And so, cause there was no Spotify to... or anything at the time. No, you couldn't, you can't use Spotify because we, we had to send them videos, right? We had to send Got them it. videos of the choreography, we do send them. And Got at it. that time, at the beginning, in 2006, when we started sending our instructors a choreography and music, we were sending them CDs and DVDs. So we had to learn how to license music for DVDs and CDs, which is two different licenses. Music licensing is one of the most complicated things yeah. I have ever experienced. But we learned, we learned it very, very well. We developed great relationships with the music industry and so great that in 2009, 2010, they started coming to us saying, can you license my song, right? Artists started coming and saying, well, I know people are stopping me in airports saying that they're Zumba instructors and that they dance to my song or I'm seeing all these videos online of people dancing to my song from all over the world. You can take my song into 186 countries and so they started coming to us saying, please license my song. And we became like a radio station for the music industry, a worldwide radio station where they cannot change the dial. And 15 million people, we have 15 million people taking Zumba classes in 186 countries. 15 million people are listening to that song. Not only listening, they're actively dancing to that song. At the end of the class, they will go up to the instructor and say, what was that song? I need, to, I need the name of that song because I want to hear it on Spotify. I want to hear it on Apple Music. And, and so we developed a, a really amazing relationship with, with a lot, the majority of Latin artists, of, of, the, of the most popular Latin artists, even some artists uh, that are not Latin and want their songs in Zumba because Zumba is not only Latin music. Zumba's is like a tour of around the world. Uh, it's maybe 70% Latin, but then you get uh, hip hop. You also have belly dance. You also have Afrobeats. You also have uh, Bangra, Bollywood. It's truly an experience of, of worldwide music. And recently, producers, uh, some of the biggest producers uh, in, in our world, in the reggaeton world, started coming to us saying, we want to make music with you. So we created the Zumba Music Lab, and now we're creating our own songs. And some of these songs That's are so cool. great that even 
famous artists have picked up those songs and said, I want to sing that song. And, and so it's, what's an example of one of those songs that we can look up or our listeners can look up. There's a song called Te Mueves. T E M U E V E S. And it got picked up by Nati, Natasha, Zion and Lennox, which are three of uh, the most famous reggaeton artists in the world. And they loved the song and, and they sang it. We created that song in the Zumba Music Lab. I'm curious, you know, going back to kind of my last question, like in terms of like building the business out, you know, what, how did you go about structuring it? I know obviously you, you, know, you, you were coming up with the choreography, you had the music licenses. If someone wanted to teach an actual Zumba class the way you had designed it, they had to go through Zumba, the company, yeah. right? What yeah. what was stopping people from just holding a class, you know, if they were a fitness instructor and saying, yes, I'm a Zumba instructor, but not going through like the formal process. And like, was that happening? Were, were there like knockoffs, if you will, of Zumba? And how were you policing that? How were you kind of going about, you know, yeah. trying to make sure that, that that wasn't happening? Yeah. So we, we started training instructors in 2003. And we started training instructors because people were calling us saying, I want to become an instructor. Do you offer instructor certification? And we're like, sure we do. <laughs> so we started certifying instructors. And uh, the certification at that time, uh, you had to fly to Miami. It was the only place where we did it. And Beto would teach you Zumba for a day, how to teach Zumba. And then around 2006, we realized that instructors were needed more. They said, we, need, we don't know how to come up with our own choreographies. It's very hard. We need the routines. We need the moves. We need the music. We need a forum so we can talk to each other and learn from each other. Uh, we need a Zumba Kids uh, specialty. We need uh, Zumba for older people. We need Aqua Zumba. So they kept asking us for for all these different things that they wanted in the Zumba ecosystem, uh, business cards, how to use the Zumba logo. Like we, so there were, there were all these needs that the instructors had. And in 2006, we created the Zumba Instructor Network, which was a membership uh, that offered uh, different types of benefits for instructors, everything from education to community to entrepreneurial opportunities. And there were some instructors, some, not instructors, some fitness trainers who were teaching Zumba illegally at that time. And there were two things that, that started, that helped us kind of eliminate that in most countries. In some countries, it's still a difficult problem to solve. One is... Other instructors would notice because uh, we list all our instructors, all, all our certified and current instructors on our website. So other instructors would notice and say, well, this person is not listed on the website. Are they really an instructor? And they would email our legal department. And then the gyms would ask for the certification because the gyms are, are liable. You know, if someone gets hurt or, or if someone is, is not a good instructor, they need to audition the instructor. So when they are hiring Zoom instructors, they ask for their Zoom instructor license. But in some markets, it's Did hard. You tr- 
did you charge these folks that were instructors to have yeah. like a license or anything of that nature? Yes, they pay. It's a small fee. We 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 charge. We we wanted Zumba to be everywhere. That was our objective. Objective is we want Zumba to be like like water that you can find it. And this is true. You can find the Zumba class in the jungle of Chiang Mai, Thailand. Like everywhere you can think of, there are Zumba classes. And so we made it very, very affordable for someone who wanted to become a Zumba instructor. And it's it's about $300 for the Zumba instructor course. And then it's about $40 a month to get access to all the different benefits that allow you to teach a great Zumba class, allow you to get more students, and allow you to get all these different opportunities that Zumba gives you. You know what? One thing that's interesting is like, obviously, we see um, the world is obviously changing all the time and music changes, culture changes. How, how do you, th- how do you um, or why do you think Zumba has been able to sort of stand the test of time throughout all these changes because i mean sure we had you know reggaeton and then we have you know a, a, a different kind of style of reggaeton and it's a kind of changing and there's always going to be like latin music but do, and also other types of music but um you know do you see it adapting along with culture and music or is it the other way around where you're sort of influencing uh it as well no, Zumba changes with the times. Zumba changes with music. When we were, when we started out, there was no reggaeton. We called these sounds, Beto called it Afro-Raga. He says, there's these sounds coming out of Panama and Puerto Rico. I don't know what they are, but let's include them. There's this guy named Daddy, Yan- Daddy Yankee, and he's great. He's this young kid from Puerto Rico. Let's include his music in our Zumba classes. And that became reggaeton. And so we have always been able to evolve with the times. And I think a lot of people come to Zumba to hear new music and to dance to new music and to learn how to dance to new music. We release songs at the same time that the artist releases them. So we actually work with the record labels and the record labels tell us, well, we have a great J-Lo song coming out this time. And we were able to get the song in advance, record the choreography, and push it out to our instructors on the same day that it goes out to the world. So people know that in Zumba classes, they're getting fresh music. Hmm. Alberto, how in, in the early days, and I guess even now, how was Zumba making money? Yeah, so at the beginning, we, we obviously were selling the, the DVDs via via infomercial and then instructors uh, getting certified and uh, the memberships and the clothing. So clothing became a significant business for us in 2006, 2007. Our instructors kept asking us to make Zumba clothing for them and for their students. And we had to learn how to do that. And it became a, a really big part of what we do now is the Zumba clothing. Yeah, you know, one thing I noticed when we were kind of talking about the very, very beginning, you know, when you when you found out about this thing and, and you, you were sort of in this position where you had just gone through this crazy roller coaster and, uh, you know, the, the 
dot-com bubble had burst and you felt unemployable and you, you were just or uncertain of so many things and you saw this opportunity. You know, something that's common, um, especially today where entrepreneurship is is so sexy, right? Like every, you see it everywhere. Everyone's an entrepreneur and a founder and a CEO and blah, blah, blah. Um, where it's like, you know, it's easy to have this grand vision of what you imagine you, you'd be like, I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur. I'm going to create an app. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and not be, you know, as maybe open-minded or malleable and kind of just like, you know, be open to just any opportunity that kind of is in front of you. And so for you, like, can you kind of talk about what your mindset was at the time, having been somebody that was interested in business and entrepreneurship and knowing like you're kind of, you're, you know, you're going about it intentionally as far as I want to be a businessman. I want to be an entrepreneur. You're, it wasn't kind of just random, you know? Uh, and, and being in that point where you're, you're at such a low point and you're struggling, you're not, you're, un, you're unsure of what comes next. Uh, and then this sort of happening, like, how did you kind of approach that time in your life for you to be able to tell that this was an opportunity and actually go, go after it as opposed to writing it off and saying, you know, this is, this is just another, you know, dance class. That's not going to be, you know, this is not the, the sexy tech company that I want to create, for example, you know? Yeah, I think that entrepreneurship is is about solving problems like I, I mentioned before it's about uh, being able to to create something that people want and that has to be the objective it's not if it's the, if the objective is making money it's going to be hard a lot of people uh, just say I, I just want to make money and if that's their mindset if it's money's not the best motivator in my opinion the best motivator is is an obsession with uh, creating something an obsession with uh, doing something different and solving things for people and when i heard what people were saying about this class I felt, I knew that I needed to take it to more people. Like, okay, so this is great. These women are incredibly happy because of this. Can we do this for more women and men? And we do this for more people. And so that really was like the, the moment I saw happy customers, happy humans, happy people that were taking this class, I, I, I felt I needed to give it a shot. You mentioned earlier on that, you know, when you guys first started Zumba, uh, you know, 9-11 happened, right? This is, you know, late 2001. Um, at this point, we probably have listeners that weren't born back in 2001. So we have to say what year 9-11 was. Um, obviously, this past year, you know, 2020, 2021, uh, we went through, uh, I don't want to call it similar, but we went through some weird oh, shit, you know, right? We went through a global pandemic. Uh, and as, you know, Zumba being a global business, obviously, and being a business or an activity that requires in-person, right? You know, you're dancing together, you're dancing to the music, you're hearing it, you're the camaraderie, right? The energy is just so different. Like, sure, you could do it online, but it's not the same. I mean, what happened, you know? I'm just curious, like, what was that conversation like between the founders and the leadership yeah. uh, at Zumba when COVID was essentially first announced? Walk us through that. Yeah. You know, it's 
it's interesting because you think of situations in your life that situations in the world that we experience as humans together and the memories from those situations are usually super clear like of of these catastrophic situations and i don't know why but i don't know anyone who does not remember where they were in september 11th 2001 everyone remembers where they were right. everyone remembers watching uh, that horrible scene on tv and i think for for the pandemic and uh, most of us remember the moment we realized that it was not something that it was going to go away i remember we were sitting in the office and we had created a a little task force that was meeting every week about this virus in china we didn't know if it was something uh, that was going to in, uh, affect us or not uh, but we have a guy in our team uh, charles harrington who runs the company with us uh, who's brilliant said let's this is you know every week let's just meet and talk about what's going on in china uh, because it might become something and i remember early march we said this thing is when we saw what was happening in italy and we were getting calls from our instructors in italy and from our instructors in china as well saying hey this is this is serious and we said we're 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 going to be in trouble we're going to be in trouble and again our our relationship and our obsession with the zoom instructors the zoom instructors are the best people you will ever meet in your life i promise you you got both of you have to come to our zoom convention because these people are the salt of the earth they're the nicest kindest uh, most uh, giving uh, and and we started thinking about them and what was going to happen to them all these gyms were going to close down and they were going to be at home we didn't know if any government was going to help them we didn't know what was going to happen to them and at that point we said we have to figure something out and we had this little project on the back burner of creating digital classes and i told my tech team you have 60 days 60 days to create a digital solutions where instructors can turn on their phone on an app and through the app transmit themselves teaching and that video should be on a website where their students can pay them and take that class and our tech team was like 60 days are you kidding I said please 60 days think about our instructors think about what they're going through let's just make it happen and day 60 to the day we launched <laughs> we launched zin studio zin stands for zoom instructor network zin studio which is the platform that instructors were using to teach on a website that we created called zumba.dance they would they could collect payment from their students and they could teach through that platform it also integrates with zoom and we've been adding features every single week since the pandemic started to that platform and instructors were very thankful 
and grateful that we we created that for them and we were very happy that we that we created it for them and that we created it for their students because we kept hearing from students all throughout 2020 saying that same story zumba was the one thing that hour of virtual zumba was that one thing that made them forget about what was going on in the world hmm. That's incredible. And, and did you guys do well during this past year? I mean, like, were people still taking the classes? Were instructors still teaching the classes? Did you see any sort of increase or drop off? I mean, I feel like a lot of businesses did pretty well during the pandemic, frankly. Yeah, no, it wasn't easy for us. It wasn't easy for us, especially in, in emerging markets. In yeah. emerging markets where internet connections were not that great. Uh, were uh, there was no stimulus, so instructors, no matter what they did, they 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 were in very tough, went through financial hardships. We had to create a fund uh, to help our instructors. Uh, to so we created different funds. One to help people that were directly impacted by COVID, where we sent them uh, money if they were in the hospital or if they were uh, had a had a family member who. Who passed away, or if there were essential workers that needed to pay for childcare, and we created another fund uh, to help with their membership. So instructors who couldn't pay their membership, we created this fund to help uh, provide financial assistance, um, and we also created a a an initiative uh, called One Class One Meal, so that we could help people. Uh, in different parts of the world who didn't have food. So not only instructors, but anyone who took a virtual Zumba class. So we wanted to promote Zumba classes, virtual Zumba classes. So we said anyone who takes a virtual Zumba class from an instructor, we will deliver a meal in the name of that person. And so we were able to deliver 1.25 million meals within wow. a month. It was It was amazing. So it was hard for us. Because we weren't training instructors the way we were training them before. There were not so many people wanting to become fitness instructors at that time. And and some of our instructors in emerging markets just, just couldn't stay on. Uh, we're recovering a lot, but it was it was difficult. It was painful. It wasn't it wasn't Zoom, you know, or uh, one yeah. of those businesses that that exploded during the pandemic, we actually, it was hard for us. But thank God our instructors are incredible and they love us and they trust us and we love them and we trust them and we we weathered together and we're in a much better place now. You know, I saw, I saw online that, um, I, I think it was around 2012, 2013, um, at its like last valuation, it was around 500 million. And I think I'm sure it's a lot more than I was like eight, nine years ago. Did you ever imagine like walking into that class in the beginning or like just meeting Beto that like it would become, you know, this big of a business company uh, at the time? Never, never. We, the beginning, we were just trying to pay the mortgage. You know, we were trying to create this little business. And like I said before, we thought we were creating uh as seen on TV type business and Zoom was going to be the first product and then we're going to do more products. And, and then the magic of Zumba took off, you know, the, the, 
the instructors and the, the, the students and just this ecosystem, this community, it was a lot deeper than we even thought than that it could be. You know, like there's, there's certain modalities in the fitness industry that have a tremendous amount of depth. I would say yoga is one of them. Like you think about all the different types of yoga and there's this uh, gurus in India who can like live off breathing for 40 days because they're doing this weird yoga thing. Like there's like this, there's this pilgrimage to like the yoga centers and there's these events. And I feel that Zumba is kind of like that because you can never learn everything. Not even Beto. Not even Beto knows all the dance moves and all the rhythms and all the music that you can incorporate in Zumba. And he goes out and, and tries to learn. Like we went on a trip when we were making our Zumba, our first Zumba video game. And he said, I want to learn from tribes and take me to Africa. Take me to New Zealand. I want to learn their dances and why they do their dances and incorporate these dances into, into Zumba classes. You can never know all of Zumba. And that is a, a beautiful thing. And that is that has given us so much dimension. Like there's, there's the Zumba convention that we do every year in Orlando. And you, there's, there's rooms all over the convention center. You open one room and they're doing African dance. Close that door. You open another room and they're doing hip hop. You open another room and they're doing Indian Bollywood, uh, Bangra dancing, right? You open, so every room is doing like going deep into like the different rhythms. And there's this, this uh, endless depth to Zumba. There's the power of the community. The community is, is incredibly close and so passionate and the Zumba Nation is sort of above the world's problems in a way. Like you see instructors when, when there's countries that are fighting, there's instructors from those, both, both those countries rooming together at the Zumba convention, right? Like they don't care because Zumba is way above what's going yeah. on in the world for them. And speaking of like sort of, the future and, and everything and also like you know two decades in you know were there ever, ever any moments where perhaps you got approached to sell the company or the business and what happened then like why did you know i mean you know i can imagine you just felt like there was a lot more work to do so you, perhaps you didn't sell yeah. but um you know like i'm sure those conversations come up all the time like how do you sort of envision it all sort of working out in terms of like at some point you know, the founders of a business, unfortunately, like, you know, they, they could get older or just like decide to leave for whatever reason, do something else. Um, like, how do you see, how do you see that all playing out? So the way I see it is, is I love our instructor community. And those are my most important stakeholders in the business. They've built it with us. And we know they're part of their life is in our hands and uh, not only their income, but what they're passionate about, uh, their social communities. 
And the only reason for us to, to ever sell the business is if we believe that the new people coming in can do a better job with the instructor community for the instructors than we can. That's, that really is the only reason is because we would never do anything uh, that in our view, uh, hurts our instructor. So we had, we've had offers along the way and, and we thought to ourselves, well, will we, how are we going to feel if this new company that buys us uh, does something that hurts our instructors. And we looked at each other and we said that that wouldn't feel too good. This is not about the money. You know, it is about uh, this, this amazing movement that, that we've created together. So that to me is the most important factor. And uh, we're, we're never looking to sell the business. We're very happy with the business uh, but it would have to be someone who comes along and says, this is what I'm going to do for your instructors. And maybe at that point, but I don't think that point is coming anytime soon. I have one important question. Uh, do you guys have any Armenian music and any Armenian dances that you guys do for the classes? For sure. I am a hundred percent sure <laughs> that we have. If you, if you probably, if you hashtag Zumba Armenia, you'll be able to find uh, <laughs> Armenian instructors. I've seen Armenian instructors. Uh, yeah, I personally know one Armenian instructor. So, And I'm sure we've used Armenian music. I don't know if we've licensed yeah. Armenian music, but I'm sure that they've used it in their class because one of the great things about Zumba is that we allow the instructors to use the songs they love in their class. They don't have to use our music. They love using our music. It's a shortcut. It's easy for them. But if there's a song that they really like from their home country, they can insert it in and they can create their own choreography. Mm. So I'm awesome. sure I can find Armenian music. I'm sure. Well, hopefully at the convention, you know, we can, me and Pat will you do Armenian dance or something. <laughs> you guys would have. Uh, I'm, taking it, so, I'm taking it as an invite. So much fun. It's August 11th to August 14th of 2022. Yeah. I promise you guys that it'll be the most fun weekend of your life. I promise. In Miami? It is Orlando. in Orlando. Oh, Orlando. It is in Orlando. Miami, it's, yeah. only, <laughs> it's only available to Zoom instructors. Some people become Zoom instructors just to go to the convention. They don't teach. They go get certified <laughs> and they become Zoom instructors because they want to go to the Zoom convention. It is, it is unlike wow. anything you've ever seen before. It is like the burning man of Zoom. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Actually. Alberto, I'm taking it as an offer to join. So <laughs> Please, um, you will be I'm my guest. I'm going to keep you accountable. I will. Thank you. I would love that. that. We'll love do that. An, Armenian, an, Armenian, an Armenian dance circle for you guys. Special. There you go. I Perfect. love it. I love it. Perfect. Well, we can't thank you enough you know, for, for uh, hanging out with us and uh, sharing your story. Obviously, what you've created and built uh, with the two Albertos as you know, uh, phenomenal just movement that, you know, just gets better by the day. And, and uh, you know, we can't wait to see what happens with you and Zumba and, and just future. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And congratulations on your podcast. I think it's, it's incredible. You guys make a great team. 
Thank you, Alberto. Thank you. <laughs>